All right, Christy, it's crunch time. I need you to get your game face on. This podcast rarely gets competitive, but if I have a task to memorize some stuff, let's do this. I'm your girl. Okay, so we're going to be covering Executioner's Song, which basically has a ton of different mutant factions. And it honestly gets a little confusing, so I figured I'd go through them with you. Honestly, it's stuff I don't remember very often either. Perfect. Do you have flashcards? Uh... In progress, but I think we can do without. I would prefer some study aids, but sure, this isn't a visual medium after all. Okay, so first we have the X-Men. Okay, easy. I know the X-Men. Absolutely you do, but right now they are divided into two teams, the gold team and the blue team. Oh, so no red team. Got it. Okay. And then we have X-Force and X-Factor. Yeah, no problem. The former New Mutants and... Okay, is this the O5 or the government team? Government team. <laughs> I knew it. Okay, now here's the part that always trips me up. The bad guys. We have Strife and the MLF. Theoretically a mutant freedom fighting group, but it's more just Strife's team for doing bad stuff. They have a guy named Forearm. He has four arms. Cool. Got it. Who else? We have the Horseman of Apocalypse. However, Apocalypse is kind of dead right now, and he's also being worshipped by a team called the Dark Riders. The Dark Riders have some names like Foxbat and Hard Drive. Okay. Horsemen and Dark Riders. Apocalypse-themed. Sweet. Should be easy to remember. I mean, I forget a bunch about these folks. I'm glad we're talking about it. <laughs> okay. That's it, right? I think I got this. No, unfortunately not. We have to talk about the Rowdy Bunch. The, the what? I haven't heard anything about the Rowdy Bunch. Yeah, they don't factor in until later, but the X-Men have to go to an old-timey diner, and it's run by a mutant hit squad led by a guy named Short Order and his gang called the Rowdy Bunch. Oh, jeez. Okay, but that's got to be it, though. Almost. We still got to talk about Big Rick and the fresh-faced youths. The what? And Evil Eve, the leader of the Rudy Tootie Shooty Duties. You're making this up. Look, there's a lot of mutants. I'm sorry. Absolutely not. We've got to be done. Well, don't forget about Ramrod, Stick Shift, and Gear Change, the Turbo Transmission Trio. Those sound like Transformers. Uh-uh. We're done. Okay, okay. Close to done. No. Let's just get going. Are you sure? We still have Gary the Slug. I'm sure. Okay, okay. Let's get this all done and talk about comics. And maybe Gary the Slug? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to part one of three of our episodes covering the X-Men crossover, Executioner's Song. Yes, Executioner's Song is the quintessential, in my eyes, 90s X-Men crossover. That wasn't Phalanx Covenant? No, I honestly think that this is slightly more 90s than Phalanx Covenant. Mm. This has strife. And I don't yes. know if there's anything that is quite as 90s as a man who has an outfit where it just does not seem like he could go out a door. Mm -hmm. Like, can he sit? Seems unlikely. <laughs> Plus it has... 
It's 12 parts. They're right. all They're all one after another. It's true. It's true. Like the cross title crossover. Right. It is, it is, it is both very It's not bookended. No, there's no alpha or omega issues. There is an epilogue, but it is, like if you were only following X-Force, the epilogue isn't that important. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like this was a time period where like every like if you were reading X-Men, you were probably just reading all of them. How many titles were there? Were there more than the four that are in this event? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. Then that would be really easy. X-Force, X-Factor, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men. There was a Wolverine. Was there an Excalibur? <gasps> there was Excalibur. It did not cross over with this. Okay. Excalibur seems to have... And I say this knowing that we have literally done a crossover where Excalibur did crossover. It mostly doesn't with these sorts of things. It tends to be the most. Right. It's on a whole other continent, right? Yeah, most of the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, this was a request. Oh, yes. A Patreon request. It is a Patreon request from Mike Bittner. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I was thrilled to cover this. He gave us tons of things to choose from but this was his this was his first pick and i was like absolutely will i do executioner song (laughs) um here's another another thing i was prepared the first time i read this to hate it okay when was the first time that you read this i read it right before jay and miles started to cover it on their podcast Mm, okay because they had hyped it up as like as like a as like a bad comic, but it was like they're like this is a bad comic, but it is absolutely something you need to read. Is this the one we did the song for? The song? Mm, I think that one was for Fatal Attractions, but I could be wrong. Oh no, that that's right. I just remember Val Cooper and Strife, and I was like, well, that, this is that. Maybe this was for Executioner's song. Oh jeez. I could be right. Christy uh, did did like led the the song for when when the Jay and Miles podcast did a parody uh, using Les Mis, but it's that's been like two years, and I don't remember what episode it was for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do they go on the moon and they're they're facing down strife? Yeah. So that yeah, is for th- that. this might be for that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a while ago. Yeah, it was, uh, they called it at the, the, the spinoff was called at the end of the fight. Yes. Was it an X Factor that it maybe happened right after this or something? Maybe. maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That was fun. And like hectic. It was like, can you do this by the end of the day? And you like got home from like play practice or something. No, no, no. It was December. So you didn't have practice. Yeah. But you just like ran into the closet to record. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like doing stuff. Now I'm feeling like, Man, why didn't we have a song for this one? Maybe by the end of these three. Because I thought I would have so much fun making up silly mutant names. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like it's been forever since we've done this because we like really front loaded some episodes before our various vacations. We did. We did. But we're back in the saddle and it feels like home. It does feel like home. And you know what comes next in this, this, this homey feeling? Dinner. Close. What was another name for dinner? Summary. I was going to say supper <laughs> and then turn it into suffering. Su- <laughs> now, suburba, suppo- now, now, what if that P <laughs> flipped around, became an M? Doesn't make sense. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into that summary. Suppery. <laughs> summary. 
Uncanny X-Men number 294, written by Scott Lobdell, penciled by Brandon Peterson, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Mike Thomas, lettered by the juggernaut Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Bob Harris. Lila Cheney is having an incredibly large concert during which Professor Xavier is going to give a speech regarding mutant rights and tolerance. Angel plans on attending with his date, Charlotte Jones, and several X-Men are there as bodyguards. During the setup of said concert, several anti-mutant terrorists who set up a bomb are killed by Cable, who seems to have his own agenda at hand. Cyclops waits for Jean at a pub, and when she arrives, she realizes telepathically that he's been thinking about Psylocke. This starts a minor argument. Gambit tries to comfort Storm about her recent breakup with Forge. X-Factor, who are temporarily in NYC, watch the concert, and Madrox makes fun of Strong Guy for having been dumped as Lila Cheney's bodyguard. Also, though, he has this X-Factor job, so I don't know why he's mad. After Jean and Cyclops start to make up, suddenly they're attacked by Caliban, who at this point is one of Apocalypse's horsemen, even though the blue guy is dead. At the same time, Colossus and Iceman attempt to fend off war and famine, only for all of them to disappear with Scott and Jean. A clever diversion! And as jeers and boos accompany Professor Xavier's speech at the concert, he is shot through the chest by none other than Cable, who loudly announces himself before tussling with Angel and then body sliding away. The X-Men run to the Professor, feeling guilty for getting him to make this speech in the first place. And in New Mexico, the perpetually on-the-run X-Force managed to get enough signal to check out the concert, only to see their leader-slash-father figure blasting their other leader-slash-father figure. Oh no. X-Factor number 84, written by Peter David, penciled by Jay Lee, inked by Al Milgram, colored by Brad Venkata, lettered by Richard Starkings, and edited by Kelly Corvais. Sam Guthrie decides to take Boom Boom, Richter, and Farrell to NYC to find Cable, as they feel responsible for him either way. X-Factor and the X-Men accompany the Professor to the hospital, as X-Factor also watches over an injured Genosian mutant. Rain is getting stir-crazy, though, so Alex sends her and Guido to find any clues back at the concert site. Angel has some rooftop angst about not saving the professor. At the concert site, Rain and Guido encounter X-Force, who arrive via plane. Rain is excited to see her old friends from the New Mutants, but of course things turn to scrapping as it is unknown whether or not X-Force is in cahoots with Cable. The rest of X-Factor arrive, and after things go to blows, Richter is knocked unconscious and Farrell is ripped up bad by Wolfsbane. X-Force retreats, but Havoc knocks their aircraft out of the sky. The X-Men blue team show up to help track down X-Force and Cable, but are wondering where Cyclops is. We get a glimpse of the horsemen who have brought unconscious Gene and Cyclops to Apocalypse? Nope, it's Mr. Sinister after all. Back at the hospital, Professor X is stabilized, but it's discovered that he's been infected by Cable's techno-organic virus. X-Men Issue 14, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Andy Kubert, inked by Mark Pennington, colored by Marie Javins, lettered by Lois Buhalis, edited by Bob Harris. As Beast and Moira attempt to figure out Xavier's condition, the crew decides to split into two teams, one to find Scott and Jean and one to find X-Force. The gold team goes after Scott and Jean and is joined by Quicksilver, while everyone else decides to go after X-Force. Bishop demands to stay behind because 
He feels like a big failure. The Mutant Liberation Front, the evil villain Strife's goons, meet with Mr. Sinister, where he trades them the still very unconscious Scott and Jean for some genetic stuff? Miles away, X-Force crash lands, with Richter trying to keep the landing relatively soft. In Egypt, the mutant group known as the Dark Riders awakens Apocalypse prematurely, telling him about Scott and Jean being kidnapped by the Horsemen. A new player enters the game? The X-Men track X-Force's plane to Texas and discuss how Cable turned bad, and if the dream was dead after all. In space, Cable returns from a long time away in the time stream to find that apparently he shot Professor X? Uh-oh, who could it really be? The perimeter alarm goes off at the mansion and Bishop races to confront the intruder, Mr. Sinister, who has snagged Stevie Hunter and Valerie Cooper as hostages. The X-Men are confronted by X-Force, who insists they don't want to fight. X-Force Issue 16, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Greg Capullo, inked by Harry Candelario, colored by Joe Rosas, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Bob Harris. X-Force and the X-Men slash X-Factor fight, but X-Force is quickly overwhelmed by the superior numbers and escapes into a river. Wolverine decides to track them. The gold team tracks Caliban's mutant signature to a warehouse near the Chesapeake Bay, where they find Caliban and Famine, barely easily subduing them, even if poor Beast gets a little desiccated. A hologram of Mr. Sinister appears, taunting the X-Men by telling them his part in this game is concluded, and Apocalypse is truly the one behind it. Bishop blasts a hole in the real Mr. Sinister's head, but he remains unfazed, simply leaving a note for Valerie Cooper regarding who's behind this scheme. He's a strange man. The real cable preps at a safe house outside of Switzerland, gearing up with guns, guns, and more guns for the real perpetrator. Forearm of the MLF drags the finally slowly awakening Scott and Jean, presenting them to the leader of the MLF, Stripe, who very dramatically announces it's the end of tomorrow. Okay, bud. The X-Men finally catch up to X-Force, subduing them and capturing them, still wondering what to do next. So, Christy, having known that I have a weird soft spot for this crossover, uh, what do you think of it? I think that it took four issues to do what could have maybe been done in two. That's true. I think the fight scenes in this are cool enough that I don't mind it being dragged out. (sighs) Yeah, but fight scenes are really superfluous to the plot. <laughs> Christy is making fun of the uh, the discourse on Twitter where people say that you shouldn't put sex scenes in movies, and now people have turned it into you shouldn't put fight scenes in movies because they don't add anything. It's all good. Um, fight scenes in comics, when they are done well, I really, really love them. But in some of these styles of art, the fights are more difficult to follow when there aren't specific backgrounds and locations to kind of ground where these characters are. Yeah. Which we saw in X Factor a lot. No, and that's wild. You did not like the art in X Factor very much, but I like it. And a lot of people consider it cool and unique to the other art that was happening at the time. It is definitely unique. And there's aspects of it that work for me, but... It was also very hard for me to identify where people were on a given page. 
the issues of this time are so we have so many panels on every page. There's so much that happens on each page mm. that it felt like you could have done the same amount of things in fewer panels if you just packed a little less in and did some better placement. Gotcha. Panels got bigger as, as, in the 2000s. Yeah. Some of the, to the point where some of them were like you would like flip a page, look, and just be done with it. Right. You remember some bits of House of M where you'd just be like, or like Wolverine That's escape, true. And that, and like, like, that is the other end of the extreme. And I'm just saying, there's a happy medium in there somewhere. There is. Boy, I'm just, some 60s Spider-Man, you would have been like, there's so many mm-hmm. panels. Mm-hmm. And the X-Fact, that art, uh, who was the artist on that? Jay Lee. Uh, Jay Lee. There were a lot of silhouetted figures mm-hmm. against more kind of solid colored backgrounds in a way... That while it was kind of a cool feeling, felt lazy to me. Oh, wow. Like. Bold. It felt like a shortcut. Interesting. To give the same sort of sense of things happening without actually having to go into all the detail. Which, if you're in a crunch to get, you know, that much art and that many panels on the page, it totally makes sense. And it and it works, but I, <sighs> I had my issues with it. I loved I love the colors. I do like, I know, I know. I'm saying that I liked the bright coloring. I liked that it was distinct in that way. That felt fun to me. Do you think it's interesting that at some point the 90s got this reputation of being like over the top, extreme, like grim, overly militaristic when like compare the coloring of like Necrotia Mm-hmm. to this and tell me which one seems like right. grim and over the top right. militaristic. Uh, but I think it was I think it was X-Men that the coloring seemed much more of a muted color palette than Yeah, the I think others. X-Force dealt in, in very bright colors. Mm-hmm. I think that X-Factor had had like big contrast. X-Factor had big had, had darker colors, but they still used a lot of them. It was just like darker shades it felt mm-hmm. like to me. There is a bit there's a panel where Bishop is is like standing facing the facing the reader mm-hmm. that Jay Lee did that I think is like all time. Bishop looked really cool throughout like all of this, just like massive yeah. and intimidating, and like even when he's kind of being sulky with Jubilee, like you're still like, like wearing shorts. <laughs> this is this is this is a big man. This is a this is an impressive man. Now, what's interesting is some of like the. Like, Jay Jay Lee has gone on to do a lot of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think his style eventually got to the point where some people, like, really didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Greg Capullo did, like, a recent run on Batman with Scott Snyder that people loved. Mm. And they were like, really? You're going to get, like, a 90s artist to do this? But he, like, just, he, like, changed changed in, like, a, in in a way that made him so unique. Mm Mm-hmm. I think you can. It still turns see out artists can be versatile. They can, but I liked his art here. He's the he's currently the X Force writer, and I consider the Nicieza Capullo part of X Force to be one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. When we've we've like left the Rob behind and uh, done 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 things that make a little more sense, a little mm-hmm. bit less sketchy. But this is the intro of Andy Kubert to the X line. There's oh the issue where I believe it was adjectiveless. Where he came in and they were like, Welcome to Andy Kubert. Now the Kuberts are like are like comic royalty. There there's so many of them in oh, comics. 
There, there's more than one. I feel like I've. There's Andy. Who uh-huh. we, this is not our first rodeo with Andy. Right. Andy I didn't think did so. Flashpoint. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Andy also did some issues during, um, um, I believe during Phalanx Covenant. I'm trying to remember which ones. But there's also Adam. Adam did. Oh, and there are two A names. That's why I was like, mm-hmm. is there more than one? Cubert sounds familiar, but. <laughs> Adam has recently done. Um, I think a few issues of Wolverine, like recently to us. And he also did the part of Phalanx Covenant, that cable issue. The one mm. where like cable pulls out the giant gun. Oh, and they're going up the mountain. He, no, that, no, 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 no. He did the, the first part of that. Oh, okay. Where they're on Muir Island. Oh, yes. And like, I love that issue. There's little, there's a bit where cable literally. Did somebody say my name? Is that where he comes in with that line? That's, I think, yeah. And he, there's the like, they're like in TK space and he can't do it. And mm-hmm. they're like, don't give up cable and, or don't quit cable. And he said, like, who said anything about quitting? And then just starts like unloading. <laughs> and unloading again. It's so good. But, uh, th- so those are, those are two of the Cuberts. There are many Cuberts. There is a Joe Cubert who is, oh, who is an older Cubert. I can't Are remember. they all related? Yes, they are, they are a family. Are they all brothers or is this their like, no, parents, there are like several cousins. generations okay. of Cubert uncles. Yeah. Now, I would say comics in some ways has is a, is a nepotism business, except that the fact that Andy and Adam are really good. <laughs> so I can't be. I, can't be I too mean, much. a lot of businesses are nepotism businesses. Right. Joe Joe Kubert's great. Mm-hmm. I think I think what you can say is that uh, a lot of a lot of comic art a lot of artists are good, and maybe only so many of them actually get chances to do things. That's a very fair statement. Right. Mm-hmm. Not to disparage their talents. I mm-hmm. I love the I love most of the Kuberts. I think they're good. Mm-hmm. Now, story-wise, I feel like, I mean, in this first episode, we very distinctly covered what I would consider the first act of this crossover. It seems like it is a distinct a, arc. It is a three-act structure, and it is like, boom, boom, boom. It is, it is like a very, like, by-the-books mm-hmm. sort of story. I think I think it was kind of brilliantly started in that... If you handed me Chris Edelman at the age of, I would have been like four or five when this mm-hmm. came out. Okay, so probably a little later. I don't know if I was reading comics at four or five. Maybe I was. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but like Chris, who loved the X Men as a little as a little child, mm-hmm. if you would have handed me the first I- issue of this, I don't think I would have needed a lot of intro going f- straight from cartoon to book. That's true. Like, do you do you feel like you needed to know a lot of what was happening before this? No, I, I was like, oh, we've got a bunch of teams. That makes sense. There, there's always a bunch of teams. Some of them are off doing their own weird things. Yeah, that, that's happened in a few things that we've read. That That's nothing new. Um, but now now that I'm thinking about it, maybe some of this stuff was weird. Like, there's, there's a lot of characters. There's a ton of characters. Like, Caliban is evil. I guess if you didn't know anything about him before, that wouldn't be a problem, mm-hmm. but you'd be like, wait, wasn't he a member of the Morlocks and he used to be a small guy and he was a good boy? Right. Right. And then like stuff like Rain's relationship with the new mutants who are now on a separate team. Right. And how she is like genetically linked to Alex, which they don't go into very much, but that is a thing. The fact that Rain and Feral are two different characters. That was, that was hard for me for the longest time. <laughs> I was like, and then I read X-Force and I was like, okay, this is Feral. Her name is Maria Kaya Santos. She is very distinct from Rain. They designed her to look different. And then I think Rain redesigned Rain to make her look more like Feral. 
We're like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and then, like, Feral, like, doesn't turn into her wolf form, really. She kind of stays as, like, the hybrid form. Okay. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Other things that I might have needed some backstory on. I don't know. Maybe maybe Cable? Uh. Well, I knew Cable from the cartoon, so that wouldn't have been hard for me. Okay. I loved Cable as a kid, but, like, of course I did. <laughs> so Cable in the cartoon is pretty faithful to Cable in the comics. Yeah, they just, they, they just, um, in the comics there's many dark futures. Days of Future Past is a dark future. Where Cable is from is a dark future. Where Bishop is from is a dark future. They are all distinct. Right. The ca- the the cartoon just made them all the same one at different time periods. Oh, I am remembering now. We've watched some episodes, and I am remembering this. Yeah. Yes, that's kind of a brilliant idea. Like, why would you need to do three? <laughs> it's that's a little silly. I mean, like, comic people like eat that stuff up, right? The, right. The, the complex continuity crew. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody wants to tell their own story that's not muddled up by anybody else's story, because why would we want to cooperate like that? Yeah. So I'm just thinking of some recent comics uh, from Marvel where, like, it is very clear that they don't read anybody else's comics. (laughs) (laughs) So they just are kind of like, yeah, we're just going to do our own thing, and maybe it'll be continuity-ish. Continuish. Continuish, yes. I'm trying to think of other things you need to know. You need to know that Storm and Forge kind of broke up. Like Storm was, Forge was kind of kind of awful to her, and then she uh, was like, "I really don't want to." Talk I mean, to you I anymore. feel like the comic kind of establishes that they broke up. The yeah. thing that I wouldn't have known was that they were together. Yeah, not like not like for real together. Okay. Like very on again, off again comics together. Mm-hmm. Not like Scott and Jean, who Scott right now for some reason. And this, this, this only seems to put, be put in just, just for like, just for manufactured conflict. He has like the hots for Psylocke, I, but like doesn't really do anything about it. If I recall, it's just like. Gene reads his mind without his consent and sees things that she didn't want to see. Yeah. And then he's like, but I love you. And she's like, why are you thinking about Gina's, Gina's that meme where she's got her back turned and I bet he's thinking about other girls. <laughs> And what Scott's thinking about Just Wolverine. Wolverine. <laughs> I was gonna say that or like duty. <laughs> this is really this good. is before <laughs> This is before Scott and Jean realized they weren't monogamous. Yeah, the the, the new co- That's like the one confirmed thing in Krakoa is like Jean definitely has moments with both Scott and Wolverine. Mm -hmm. Scott, you could you could ostensibly say Scott really hasn't had any moments with Emma. He has like one in X Men slash Fantastic. Emma's over that. I don't. I think Emma still still is flirting with Scott. He said like I live to serve, and she gave him like a look. I'm like okay, (laughs) this this isn't look over. (laughs) Yeah. This was this was far before that. Mm-hmm. This was still like Wolverine bristling against Cyclops' leadership. Like you can't order me around, soldier boy. Yeah, that voice makes a lot more sense for Wolverine, considering how he was really lighting up in one of those issues. <laughs> These issues that he was smoking. Yeah, he did. The, they they were relaxing the code, I think, in the nineties, and you. They were on that. an aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Wolverine does not care. Uh, but I, I think they had to put a, him in a panel all by himself so he looked tall while he was smoking his cigarette. 
But I would have really enjoyed a panel of short Wolverine. It is wild to me that they established Wolverine as short, and then when he got popular, they're like, why did we do this? We can never make him look short again. Right. And so there's a lot of times where like they really don't like to make Wolverine look short. I'm like, they, Colossus they Tom throws Cruise him. him. Yeah, they do Tom Cruise him. Does Wolverine have a tooth in the middle of his head? <laughs> Could be. Could be. I hope so. It, it, it was just there for a short time before, you know, one set got knocked out and he grew another back. <laughs> Screw another back. <laughs> yeah, they they platform shoe Wolverine a lot. You know what? I like a, I like a short dude. Let's have some, let's have cool short dudes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to shame short dudes. No. Body diversity. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you're right. They put him in a panel by himself so he can kind of look tall. <laughs> um... So what did you think of, of the of the fake out of this? Where like it's it's cable, but then you realize, oh no, it's not cable. I'm gonna so this is gonna absolutely show that I did not do my research before this, and I can't remember exactly if this takes place dur- before or after. I can't remember if it was revealed that strife and cable are like the same. Oh, yeah, where we're at in terms of continuity. I don't know if we were at that point yet. Right. It's so it's so messy. I think you know that he looks like him. I think mm-hmm. there's been a bit where he's taken off his helmet and looks like Cable. Right, right. And he wasn't, like, wearing his Strife outfit when he no, attempted to a- assassinate. Do you think like, he felt so free with without all that metal all over him? He's like, or do you think he felt, like, awful? Like, he's like, well, I just don't feel like myself without my weird metal costume. <laughs> See, uh, like, the... The never nude version of us. <laughs> Except he just needs metal. <laughs> he needs to be covered in metal at all times. Oh. You think they could have just called up Magneto and been like, could you just like swing us one favor? I, I think Magneto was dead at this point, so mm. never mind. Well, didn't they have Polaris? They did have Polaris. But they haven't actually encountered Strife yet. No, they haven't. Or Polaris has not. Poor Polaris, I think, has a broken jaw at this point. which is Right, she's, she's got, got, the... got some face equipment on. Yeah. Um, Boom Boom also sometime around this also had a broken jaw. I think people just wanted to draw cool face gear, and they're like, "How can we do this? Breaking breaking jaws." <laughs> people just wanted to draw stuff. It was like, is she getting like the techno organic virus? Like I don't understand what's happening with her face. Maybe she she just uh, was having some braces. Yeah, sure. It does kind of look like headgear that I used to wear as a kid, but I think I think she was suffering from a broken jaw at this point. Mm-hmm. She seemed pretty pathetic throughout these issues. There is a real problem with Polaris in the X Factor issues kind of being like that that way a little bit. She She just seems like a damsel. A little bit. I like how we have recently gotten to a point where Polaris seems like a little tired of this stuff. Yeah. It is a very it's good, good. Polaris. It, it's very good. Like in the newest the, the newest issue of, of X-Men, X-Men number one. Spoilers for this is January 2021. Uh, Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larage just started a new volume of X-Men. And Polaris is carrying around a coffee and doing stuff. And it's great. Did you just say January? I said July. No, you said January 2021. Oh, okay. Uh, spoiler for July 2021. <laughs> But uh, I, I think we've got developed a fun Polaris. She was, she would do stuff like at some point, like modified her outfit to be more skimpy. Okay, it was a lot of stuff like that. 
Yeah. Maybe maybe Peter David didn't have a million good ideas. No. No. The Peter David? Well, you know, you... Two-time glad. Two-time glad award winning <laughs> Peter David. Although one thing you liked in X Factor was Strong Guy, who you've not encountered before, have you? I have read Strong Guy in something else. Phalanx Covenant. Yes. In one issue. Yes. Uh-huh. And I was just like, all right, the big beefy dude and his name's Guido. Love it. <laughs> he's <laughs> They he's call fun. him Strong Guy. Love it. Yeah. But for me, it hit that soft spot when he and um, Joe Beth yes. come in. And for me, it was that couple energy that like I'm into some couple energy and it was just so good. <laughs> Christy loves so good. the good couple energy. So much better than when we saw Warren Worthington laying smooches on like a seemingly unwilling date. You it is really hard to draw somebody kissing with their eyes open and have them look like they 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 want to be there. Right. Right. It is so I, difficult. I hate that about the Kate Pride kiss. With the tattoo artist. Oh, the, they drew her with her eyes open? Yeah. Yeah. That's important. I mean, they originally drew it with both of their eyes open, which was somehow more uncomfortable. <laughs> close your eyes when you kiss. Yeah. Didn't heartbreakers teach you anything? You gotta close your eyes. Because <laughs> you're like just staring at someone's cheek. It, it, it's, not, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah, it definitely looked like Warren was... Uh, was I was like, oh, is he evil in this? Oh, oh no? No? No, he's just a cocky white boy. Yeah, I mean he is he has like he is quote unquote evil and that he has a, he he's currently dealing with with a dark side mm-hmm. and that he turns into archangel and whatever. His date was surprised that he was white. Like it was the first time what, what was oh, his date's name? Oh, you mean Charlotte Jones? Yeah, yeah. She at one point says, "Warren, you're white." <laughs> I don't like, remember their history before this. Like she'd only seen him as Dark Angel, where he was b- blue, metal, <laughs> blue. <laughs> he was like he was like Super Grover. <laughs> oh, yep, Angel is Super Grover. Hello, X Men. <laughs> I bring your demise. <laughs> Who's the monster at the end of your book, Warren? It's Apocalypse. (laughs) Apocalypse is the monster at the end of this book. (laughs) It is I, lovable for real, Apocalypse. We need to make a monster at the end of this book, but it's Warren as Super Grover, and at the end, it is not him, it's just Apocalypse. You survived my test via fiction. Only the strong survived. <laughs> you faced your fears and turned another page. <laughs> Fit to be my horseman of death. <laughs> uh, I love Apocalypse in this, by the way. We've not talked much about Apocalypse. Um... He's just kind of woken up by the Dark Riders, and he's just, like, really groggy. Like, what's going on? Not yet. And they were like, uh, they kidnapped Scott and Jean, who you kind of like? And he's like, oh, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like Scott and Jean were kind of like a 
they were just kind of like a MacGuffin for a bit of this. Like they weren't actually people. They were just kind of like <laughs> an object carried around. There's a, a thing in a lot of Zelda games where you have to you'll have to do these trade quests. Mm-hmm. So you'll get a thing and then you have to find someone that wants it. You'll give it to them. They'll give you something. And it's like it goes like eight deep. And then uh-huh. you'll finally get something cool at the end. Right. This felt like that. Where they're like well, I stole Scott and Jean and traded them for some genetic dupe. All right, well, now we're moving them around. It was like, okay, Horsemen of Apocalypse grabbed them, mm-hmm. handed to Mr. Sinister. Sinister handed to the MLF, who then handed to Strife. We need, like, football announcers here. Boom. Hand off. Going down the field. Forearm brings him to Strife. <laughs> Pass successful. I would love if John Madden had talked a little bit about X-Men. <laughs> when you come here on the field, the problem here is Apocalypse. He's always going to be in your way. That was really good. Is I that don't, a good John Madden? I, I don't know what he sounds like, but that sounded really good. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the way he says, let's play a game of football. <laughs> that sounds like it's probably a very good impersonation. I'm so glad you're here to tell me these things. <laughs> the readers can cringe, but I get all this validation. Like, Right now. <laughs> so, I often complain about hero fights. This is all this first four issues were. Why did I like it? So you liked all the hero fights. I liked fights. these hero fights. I think because these teams have had, have had some tension. Mm. Especially, like, because X-Force has been operating sort of outside of the law. Mm. So, for you, this is, like, some real Sharks vs. Jets energy. Like, the showdown needed to happen to just blow off some steam. Right. I think they kind of they kind of turn a page after this, if I recall. They they turn another page. They turn another page. It's <laughs> <laughs> another monster at the end of this book. Um, so I kind of get it. I don't know why cuz here's the deal. I complained about it in the 2000s like Marvel Civil War and mm-hmm. then there just kept being more of them. Mm-hmm. I think if that's your full plot, it drives me bonkers. Mm, yeah. But heroes have always kind of had misunderstanding fights with heroes. It it happened in like Fantastic Four number two it or something. It does happen all the time. Why can't they just talk? They Don't they talk. know they're all like on equal strong footing? And like why why do they have to come to blows? Like Christy, they have to talk with the mitts. The X-Men need therapy. <laughs> there is a therapy issue of X-Factor, and a lot of people like it. However, it is done by someone who has never, ever been revealed to be a licensed therapist. And actual therapists have commented on it and been like, these are not actually questions the therapists ask. Oh, so it wasn't just uh, telepathic therapy. No, it was like, it's talk therapy. Oh, yeah. okay. You can, If you want to, it's called the, the issue is called examinations. Ah, you could check it out. There's a really famous col- or Quicksilver page when he ex- why he explains why he is such a jerk all the time, and he he's basically like he like draws a really quick picture as he's talking and talks about how like it's so hard to go through life and having to like moderate yourself when this is what everybody else is, and he like holds up a picture of a snail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but it's it's a it's just the whole issue of that, and a lot of people like it. I've never read it. Okay. Yep. It's more Peter David, so I'm not sure mm. if that one's going to convince oh, okay. you. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of hero fights. There's a, there's some classic misdirection. Mm-hmm. As long as we don't have too much hero fighting continuing on from this first act, I can be okay with this. Well, we end with X-Force in like abnormally large handcuffs. They look like jet engines. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of this in this next next act. But are we ready to go ahead and get into some accolades? Let's do it, accolades. All right, Christy, what is the best line in this? All right, my best line comes from the man, the myth, the legend, Guido Caracalla. Oh, you love him so. Yes, I do. It's a good Italian I do, point. I do. Beasts mentions cable, and Guido says, oh, good, including HBO, maybe the Disney Channel for rain. It's very good. I, just, I love it. Then we get cable. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my best line comes from Cable. Oh, okay. Who? This is the point where he's at his Switzerland base. Yes. And he just loads himself down with guns to the point where it almost feels like parody. Right. Like he's like a missile launcher. He's got a bunch of guns and he says, mm-hmm. let me do my best Cable voice. It's time to take him down once and for all. Man to man and quite literally face to face. <laughs> yes. That line. He said quite literally. <laughs> like he had to make a little quip about his about like Who was he quipping to? He was monologuing to no one. To his professor, which is his computer. Oh, oh. Yeah, that's weird. He has a computer friend. Why do you gotta what, is your computer gonna laugh? Christy, who you body sliding by? Who are you telling about body sliding if you don't have a computer friend? Is that really who he talks to when he says that? Oh like I body slide by one? I didn't it's, yeah, I didn't know why he said that. It's his computer up in the sky, I think. Unless it's just voice commands, but I think the computer listens to him and does the body slide. I think the teleporter is up. The in computer the is always listening to cable. Yeah, that's a little much. I'm just saying, he has a mission. Okay. Okay. He calls his computer professor. Isn't that like, great? He's he's got some some issues. Yes. Yes. I love cable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next up is our greatest hero. And who would you dub the greatest hero of these four issues? This was so hard because it was the most, like, ensemble cast. It was. It was. I went with Bishop. (gasps) We have a daily double. I also went for Bishop. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. I just liked how much he felt like he absolutely needed to defend Professor Xavier, and he felt so much duty. Right, right. And he's like, he was basically like, yeah, I'm willing to die. Yeah. It was like Sinister's like, like, are you really willing to die for the professor? And Bishop, like, whips at his guns. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Well, you have to keep in mind that Bishop's whole deal is that he, like, is an X-Men fanboy from the future. So it's like, it's like if, it's like if I went back in time and, like, met Jonas Salk or something like yes stick me with that needle well like imagine i went back to meet jonas sock and he got like shot before he could finish the polio vaccine right i would be that i would be that right (laughs) i like that i like that we daily doubled there yeah all right all right so what about what moment did you think was the coolest moment this was like a lot of quote-unquote cool moments there's just there's a lot of big fight scenes Mm there is a bit where shatterstar uh, we didn't talk much about Shatterstar. No, we didn't. He's not in this a ton, but I love Shatterstar. Oh my gosh, we might have a Daily Devil. On the is it the bit where he tries to stab Strong Guy and uh-huh. his sword suddenly goes and away? Quicksilver has it. Yes. What? We have another Daily Devil. Hit it again, Matt D. Wilson. How did we pick the exact same cool right? sword? Mo- it was just so cool. It was just like, 
the shadows are really just impaled strong guy. And he's just gone. And it's oh, like was so cool. That was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, all right. How about some silly villains? So I feel a little bad because I kind of took uh, this my silly villainy from a, a tweet that you made about That's okay, apocalypse resembling you before your morning coffee and so it's when apocalypse wakes up and he says why has apocalypse been awakened in an unfinished state of organic coherence it's really good it's so good um my silly villainy is very is like is probably like a cop-out okay there's so many villains that it is silly (laughs) Oh, okay. Just like we I, don't have a solid bad guy, and we don't really know who the bad guy is until the end of this fourth issue. I wrote just the sheer mass of them. <laughs> there is like there are so many bad guys, and there's there's bad guys in the background whose names I don't know. Like there are just so <laughs> many of them. This is, but this is the era of so many bad guys. Everybody's mm. got to have a little bad guy team. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our next accolade is the key of C, which we give to a moment that we think would be most enhanced by a musical number. Yes. And my key of C award, I give to this moment we have with Angel or Dark Angel. He's like... The rooftop bit, where he has him a little pout. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he 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 gets really dramatic. He gets really theater about it. He has this little monologue. What's it all for? For the first time, these things on my back might have done some good. They might have saved the professor. But the gun blew a hole right through them. Beautiful. I was counting on Apocalypse's technology to save a life. Well, I'm not counting on anything besides myself from now on. And the X-Men. First, we nail Cable. And after we do it, it's gonna be you, Apocalypse. You and me. And nothing will save you when that happens. Nothing. And if that's not a musical number, I don't know what that, what is. Now, I know that you probably see it differently, but I, for some reason, am seeing it to the tune of Rain on My Parade. <laughs> <laughs> don't blow a hole in my wings. A flutter. <laughs> Yeah. All right. What about uh, your key of C? Uh, Cyclops convincing Jean that he doesn't have a crush on Psylocke, I think, could make a fun number where she's, like, pouty and he's, like, just trying to get her attention and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I don't want any more of that moment. I just hated that Jean, like, eavesdropped in his brain and that they had the entire fight to begin with. Yeah, I don't love it. It's, it is it is manufactured drama. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, it's a bad look for Jean. It's a bad look for their relationship. It makes me like them less as a couple. Yeah. You will like them by the end of this. Maybe. Okay. Do you not, <laughs> do you not like Scott and Jean? Uh, I was, like, kind yeah. of lukewarm on them, and this I'm like, no. Are you more of a Scott and Emma fan? Mm, I did like Scott and Emma in Astonishing, so I don't know. I'm about to read Morrison. Maybe when we inevitably pivot this podcast toward comics that are supposed to be good. <laughs> All right. So, readers, uh, the I will go down with this ship accolade is for any kind of relationship, romantic or platonic. Um, but in this case, mine is romantic. And I will go down with the Joe Beth and Guido Caracella <laughs> ship. Chrissy was like fanning herself. I was. I need a whole series of them. You love it. 
I love it. It's wonderful. Like, I just have this panel in front of me where Strong Guy's like three times her size and she still strides in and she is the boss of him. <laughs> and <sighs> Christy, into that. Into that. Uh, mine is a friendship. Okay. I love the Bish and Jubes friendship. I think it's lovely. This is, I feel like, the first time I've gotten to read it in an actual comic that wasn't um, Adam Reck's wonderful Bish and Jubes series mm. that I got to see their back and forth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I get it now. I get where that comes from. Yeah, I like it. Uh, also, she had like a fun outfit and like, it was like, yes. was it polka dotted? Yeah, it was white. With it was like a cowl necked white short sleeve shirt and white cuffed shorts that had gigantic red polka dots. And then she had these large hoop earrings that said Jubilee on them. That's across very the good. Middle. It was a very good look. Are you are you regretting that? Are your pierced ears going away? Hey, I wore earrings on our anniversary date. I stabbed that through. Oh. I made it work. And it's okay. I found I just had to go through the backside of my ear to find. There's still a little bit. Did you, did you, like, bleed or anything? Yeah. Christy. It's fine. I used rubbing alcohol. Oh, my goodness. I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm a very high pain tolerance. I know. <laughs> I've seen you give birth to two children. <laughs> All right. Our final accolade is the goodest hit, which is just what it sounds like. Mine is sinister casually backhanding Bishop and Jubilee. Just, like, whack, whack. <laughs> Oh, that is pretty good. And mine is very close to that. To me, the goodest hit was just putting a massive hole in Sinister's head. The fact that it's like a big dumb grin afterwards, like just (laughs) literally, and it's like a hole in his head. There's no blood. It is like it looks like he was Play-Doh. It goes through. Yeah, he looks like the like the the Terminator from the second Terminator when they like blow holes in him and Mm -hmm. you see. It looked like your hole punch was pretty dull. Yeah. (laughs) Hole punch is sinister. (laughs) All Uh, right. Those were like in the same scene. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Readers, that brings us to the end of our accolades and the end of this episode. Thank you for sticking with us. And if you want to find more of us on the internet, uh, you can find the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at Chris's Pod. And you can also find us on comicsxf.com. And if you'd like to email the podcast, we are at chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. And if you rate or review us, give us those five stars and write out a review on iTunes. We will read that review out on the show. Whatever fun messages you want to put in there, we will say them. Assuming they're not rude or crude or socially unacceptable. Whatever messages that you want to receive. Chris's fine print is very, very small. It's uh, very small. <laughs> Don't make me read swears. This mm-hmm. And if you would like to support us monetarily, you can do so at Patreon or our Ko-fi. Links for both of those are in the show notes. Right. You can also check out our writing and editing at ComicsXF. Christy does two monthly columns on Captain Marvel and Marauders. Mm-hmm. I'm currently off monthly columns, but stay tuned, readers. I'm not, I'm not done here. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> They've seen a lot. <laughs> my best days might be behind me who knows (laughs) thank you readers and until next time slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours